coming at you from Handsome Headquarters here in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm Lee Sanger-Golden, and you're listening to me talk on the internet. I am joined remotely by an illustrious colleague. Uh, he's an actor, a um, storyteller, a bon vivant and adventurer extraordinaire. Um, Tom. That, wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> that was literally my katana sword falling on the ground. What's funny is that if you had said that wasn't literally your katana sword falling to the ground, that's a phrase. Like, oh, what happened to Jeremy? Well, let's just say his katana sword fell to the ground. <laughs> and everybody in the room that Jeremy had obviously embarrassed himself. Um, yeah, hi, audience. My name is Tom. Uh, sometimes I go by Tommy. Sometimes I go by Thomas. But it doesn't really matter because sometimes I find it very difficult to find a consistent sense of self. And sometimes I feel that my true representation is merely contextual. You know, I don't have a consistent sense of my own persona. It'll change depending on who's in the room with me or whether or not I'm talking to you on a podcast. Shit, we're getting philosophical today. I don't know where to go from there, Lee. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about your name. It's a, it's a solid name. And you come from, your family is all like Michael, Mike's, Tom's, and Thomas's, right? Um, as much as they can't claim to be specifically Anglo-Saxon, uh-huh. I think my family really tried to behave as if they were. Mm. It's names of kings and queens, some stuff from the Bible, um, the idea of adding anything in there just seemed like you were trying to make waves that you were like, mm. trying too hard. Trying too hard. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Kings and Kings and Queens. Yeah, I, I would have loved to meet King Tommy. You know, you hear about the yeah. King. Hey, everybody. I think that's, that's more chill. It's more relaxed. Hey, welcome to cool nation. King Tommy coming <laughs> at you. King Thomas was my dad's name before I murdered him. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't chill enough. It was a pretty sweet murder. We put him on a luge and sent him down the castle into a ravine. Oh, man. Those were good times back in King's times. <laughs> back, in, uh, back in Lord of the Rings times. Oh, yeah, that period of history. Um, it's, it is funny because we like to think of history as this specific pitched time that makes sense that has a sense of structure that informs what we do today. And in a way it's true, Yeah. but the means by which Kings defined their rule or um, legitimized it, it would, it would vary from town to town and its efficacy was, it, it was tenuous. I mean, you know that a ruling monarchy isn't that important or isn't that intrinsically powerful if in order to prove that they are creating legitimate heirs to rule the country, They'd have to fucking public. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The, yeah. the weird stuff that kings and queens and their princes and princes and dukes and such would have to do consistently to remind everybody that they were important would be the type of thing you would point at and laugh. <laughs> Just busting loads in front of everybody. Yeah. Covering yourself. Throweth the royal spider's web upon your noble face, me lady. It's like, oh, I'm being coronated kings. That means I have to put on this 60-pound weight that's shiny on my head, and I have to hold this orb that represents (laughs) Catholic um, 
you know, uh, Catholic approval in one hand, while I hold a, a scepter that represents mm -hmm. like the existing hierarchy in another. And I just got to fucking stand here while people <laughs> pray at me. At me. Oh, man. It's a tough life. <laughs> Whenever I think about like cool, uh, 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 like uh, Catholic uh, ceremonies like that, I always realize that uh, the way, the mystical, mysterious way that I view Catholicism is probably the same way that the rest of the world views Jews, where it's like, oh, oh totally. There's this weird language and songs, and they have a cantor, and there's bizarre backroom conspiracies that, oh, you know, all kinds the of aromas. Things. Like, yeah. Like, the, it, Catholics still sometimes break out the the censor that has, um, I think, myrrh or other random stuff in there that they use to pungent up the place. Yeah. Um, but they don't really use it as much as they used to. And the I think what a lot of Catholics assume that at um, maybe not Reform Jewish ceremonies, but uh, at you know any Orthodox type of ceremony, there's a whole bunch of beards. Mm -hmm. um there's a weird smell mm. and scrolls are being held up mm -hmm. there's some type of use of scroll and whether or not perhaps yeah. a spirit is conjured from the, the scroll see I, I might be making up that last no part, no no the scroll there's... is there i think the spirit yeah, we put the scroll in the ark the ark is where the, the ghosts come out and kill the nazis so i okay. i think yes correct now, when I went to my late grandmother's funeral, I, I would hope that it, for her funeral, she would have passed away. But um, wonderful woman, uh, Anna Lazar, her funeral was Russian Orthodox. And that's on my dad's side. Um, now, nice. the Russian Orthodox, um, definitely lots of incense. It oh, stunk yeah. in that room. and But in a kind of cool way. It smelled like somebody's cool older brother's room. <laughs> Like the first guy you knew that had uh, that technically was your generation, but he had facial hair and mm -hmm. he was gonna like smoke you out. Yeah, it smelled like that guy's van, just um, like weed and a Super Nintendo. And he kept a snowboard in his room for some reason. Yeah, and clove cigarettes too that his girlfriend smokes. <laughs> and so it's like smoking glass and nag champa. Um, uh, nag champa. And their their prayers that they spoke, they were far more um, hypnotic. There was a lot of repetition where prayer would be repeated again and again and again. Not just a call and response, but we're saying mm. that uh, I'm saying that the priests, three of them, would call it a prayer in a constant way. And when one person would begin to run out of breath, the next priest would take over, speaking the prayer, repeating it again and again and again. And that combined with the aromas, like the emotionality of the moment, that you definitely got more of a sense of like a rhythmic, I mean, borderline animist ritual compared to the very, I don't know, anodyne or boring or beige Catholic ceremonies that I got in our hometown. Mm. You're listening to Faith Talk here on Talk yeah. on the Internet, where we break down faith in a very respectful way that is in no way congregous with the way that uh, uh, we've talked about faith previous times oh, on this show. It's all, it's all made up, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, what is, I mean, come on. Like, religion is just like funny little rituals that stuck. Mm, yeah, exactly. That's why I'm trying to start a new, a new tradition when I have a child, which is um, what I call the Nazi fart coin. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how that laugh came out over the microphone. That's... No, it's cool. It's cool. Um, basically, um, there is, okay, 
we're gonna we're gonna get into it here. So you know how the plague is basically gone. Like we don't like the plague's not spreading around. But oh, you like the Black Death. Exactly, like the original Black Death. Not uh, this cool new like plague light that we have going around. Yes, exactly. Not the Kung Flu, but the original Black Plague. Uh, yeah. And um it it technically is not spreading around, but it is technically still alive. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. technically have it, but it is locked down like Magneto in like a secure facility, guarded as fuck. And it still exists because we need it to research it, to study it, right? Okay. And I remember, excuse me, the, the film JFK, the most, ac- the most factually accurate story since religion. Mm. History um, made sexy. Exactly. History made sexy. Tommy Lee Jones in that. Mm. Oh, dude. Tommy Lee Jones flexes such a uh, wonderful perform- wonderful performance as a gay underwor- uh, underworld figure, Clay Shaw. And uh, mm-hmm. we've, we've talked a lot about Clay Shaw here oh, on the show. Cool. No, probably like, not. Anyway, um, let's just yeah, so the plague. The plague's it. locked up. Anyway, so the plague's locked up. In the film JFK, thanks for getting me back on track. The first time you go into Kevin Costner's office, he's a World War II veteran, there's a fucking Nazi helmet sitting on his desk as if to say, we conquered you, motherfucker. I'm going to keep this on my desk Mm. like the skull of some motherfucker I killed, right? Um, So similar to that, I have a coin that I found in a weird store in New York where a guy was listening to one of those those shows about like... um, European, uh, it's like European culture and the preservation of European culture. He was listening oh, to this God. weird stuff that, like, might just sort of sound normal. Like, oh, he's talking about classical music and painting, but he's like, no, he's talking about <laughs> the racial superiority of Europe and oh all this and all this nonsense. So we're poking around. He, what he, he's Italian. I'm talking to this guy, and he's Italian, and he's telling me about his time in Italy. And I realized he would have, and he was showing me some like Italy, like the Italy version of Hitler Youth stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was, uh, and I realized like, oh, this guy lived in, this guy's probably was like a, you know, part of the, the Mussolini Youth Auxiliary or whatever it was mm-hmm. called. So I look around and this, you know, I didn't have my, my Mogan David out. So this guy doesn't know what's up. So you're pretty Anglo. I'm pretty Anglo. Yeah, I pass. So I, I turn to him and I go, hey, you got any Nazi shit? It's like, of course. Of course. Oh so he pulls this drawer out and it's like, you know, that like Wait, thing. describe his face. After you said that, was he like conspiratorial or did his eyes go big and wide? Like, oh, yeah. It was, if it was possible for eyes to both glimmer while looking left and right cautiously, that is what he was doing with his eyes. So his this eyes glimmered like salmon rushing below the surface of a wa- rushing river. <laughs> exactly. The funny thing is this was in like an antique mall where other vendors were sharing the space and the lady, there was a person oh next God. door to him and she was just like a nice old lady that was selling antique cameras. And then there was an, another woman um, who had uh, immigrated from, um, I believe, Somalia. And uh, she was selling um, tribal masks from Africa or, or masks that were... That were um, inspired by African tribal art. Um, and then this like Nazi Mussolini youth guy in the middle. So anyway, I'm like, I, I think about the plague, how we like have it captured. And I think about um, uh, the Nazi helmet on Jim Garrison's desk. And I'm like, I'm gonna get this coin and I'm gonna keep it 
So I can remind myself, it's got like a little swastika on the back. It says Reichsmark or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to keep this like the plague so that I like own this and I can control it. And later that Hanukkah, we had just eaten a, like, like Hanukkah is a day. Later that Hanukkah, um, later that year on Hanukkah, we were eating a bunch that of- That sounds uh, like a movie that's never coming to the Hallmark channel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Andy Sandberg and Isla Fisher? Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, cool. <laughs> Good for her. Oh, I don't know if she was. Oh, I guess I mean, well, it's Hollywood. Anyway. Yeah, they so, all work together. So, so anyway, later that Hanukkah. Later <laughs> that Hanukkah, we're all, we're all gassy from uh, all of the latke, the, <gasps> the potato pancakes, and I start having a fart, and so I pull out this Nazi coin, and I just start farting all over it. And uh, it is so satisfying to know that like Hitler is getting fucked with a sword in hell while I fart on his little bitch ass coins. Oh, I love it. So when we have a child, I want every Hanukkah after we eat latkes, when everyone is farting, we pull out our Nazi coins and we fart the fuck all over them to the point where when our son or daughter goes to school, Hebrew school, and they have to like crank one out. They're like, oh, excuse me. And they pull out a Nazi coin and fart on it that the other kids are like what are you what are you doing and the and my kid will be like oh that's yeah that's my Nazi fart coin I'm farting on my Nazi coin and they're like what a, a what coin a Nazi fart coin you don't have one I thought you were Jewish you are just playing with fire because you're gonna create <laughs> like a new weird stereotype like if there's anything that and I'm definitely getting out of my lane. I could get canceled for this. But if there's anything that, no as a Jewish person, you want to um, not associate weird traditions with, maybe it's not a piece of money. <laughs> maybe it's not a shekel. Come on, Lee. Oh, that's a good point. All no, right, but, but, it's, but it's, it's, it's fucking true. Because like, as much as we like to... It's, we have this weird, and I say we, it could be the collective humanity, it could be like Americans, it could be, I don't know, fuck it, just you and me. But mm -hmm. we treat money like this objective representation of well time and labor. Yeah. Um, you know, but we know like money is completely subjective. It's, it's a fucking spell, man. Yeah, it's, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on the show where I oh, yeah? was talking about George Floyd, uh, who was the reason why he was taken down by yeah. the cops was because money. He yeah he apparently had a, a a $20 counterfeit bill which yeah. we don't know for sure but even if it was and I'll say it again the $20 bill with a fucking uh war criminal Andrew Jackson on top of it that is counterfeit that represents nothing to me so yeah and the faith that other people have in that piece of specie you know specie being specie. like just a piece of money that's yeah. It changes from one place to the next. Like I've handled plenty of counterfeit currency. I've bartended in uh, plenty of spots where you, know, you get into the habit of marking the bill to make sure. But even when it's people just a try to bill with Wendell Winky on it. Oh my god! I wish. I wish they'd be more creative. <laughs> counterfeit bills? That'd be more fun. Like I'd, I'd be more like, this was really fun to look at. Let's let me give you a free drink. But um, yeah. But yeah, it's like usually the people are quote-unquote passing the bill don't even know that they're using it because no. yeah it's people like when fake bills are passed if it's not at a fast food place it's typically interpersonally like yeah. you know there's a lot of there's a huge cash-based economy 
Mm -hmm. uh, where people do any amount of like day labor, handy work, where guess what? You're getting some cash at the end of the day and you might be getting past some nasty bills by somebody who figures they're never going to see you again. Yeah, pretty much. And the idea that that situation escalated because a $20 bill was bogus and in circulation is pretty, um, yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you've been very outspoken uh, about Black Lives Matter and, and uh, you know, your sister as, as well. Um, but you, you come from, there's police officers in your family. I'm not going to yeah. talk to anybody, but your, your dad is a police officer. He worked with... Uh, with well, mm, well, I want to kind of, if we want to talk about that, I want to be... Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yes, there, there are people who are more actively engaged in police work in my family who... Yeah. Um, yeah the, conversations can get we quickly shut it down and go in separate directions conversationally because people don't want to go there yeah. and usually this is unfortunately some of that venn diagram stuff or once people have one particular type of view and they don't want to converse about it they're yeah. going to start digging their heels in about other stuff and then we get put in these separate media bubbles and then hmm. neither betwixt they meet so maybe i should try to re talk to the family but my dad was part of the criminal justice system in that yeah. he was a probation officer. Right, probation. And he specifically went into juvenile probation when my sister and I, uh, well, yeah, when he knew that he'd be starting a family with my older sister and I, hmm. uh, because in theory, that job would be less risky. Um, right. He doesn't talk about it that much. And I try to broach him about it. He'll keep it mostly vague, but what he'll, talk about is that there are people who work within that system who see themselves as law enforcement and yeah. others who see themselves as social workers, the civil yeah. servants. And he felt himself to be in the latter camp. He thought of himself as a civil servant, as a mm -hmm. social worker. His job was to keep people out of the beast. And right. it's tough to get him to talk about individual instances because it's filled with, you know, sadness and other people's lives and, you know, privacy. Absolutely. But what he's usually more willing to talk about is what it, how you need institutional awareness in order to know how to play the system. There are days where you do not serve paperwork, where you don't serve a notice to report to jail or to report to juvenile hall. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to serve somebody on Wednesday, well, that means you have to be accompanied by an officer, uh, by a particular officer on a Wednesday, and that person is violent and is a dickhead and will, is eager to practice cuffing people on a kid because it's easier. And there's judges you do not bring, you try your hardest to not bring your case up in front of that person because they're always trying to look tough on crime. So you're saying that the, the quote, good cops unquote which i would definitely include your father in yeah. um they you'll never are, tell me <laughs> yeah who knows <laughs> he's maybe done they, terrible things i don't know if he'll ever tell me maybe he is robocop and we just oh don't know God. um but but so what, what, what you're saying is that if you are a good cop or even trying to be a good cop part of your job yeah. is dodging feints and navigating oh, yeah bad cops or bad judges or bad they are like your job is defined by the lowest common denominator damn and you are just as likely to 
screw up your life or somebody else's life um, by some weird technicality as much as you are able to give somebody a better shot at getting out of the system. Hmm. And this was also a time where a big push for privatization was going throughout, not just, um, it was going throughout county, state, yeah. city, on a federal level. Where well, this if you're going to beat the shit out of some kids, you might as well make money off of it, right? <sighs> um, yeah, mostly when it came to uh, rehabilitation. Yeah. Now, fuck, I feel like we're jumping around a lot, but I think if people are listening to you, they probably have a familiarity with the idea of privatizing the uh, benefit of social of public work mm -hmm. uh, and socializing the cost of it. Mm. So as much as my dad was paid, um, whenever county money was paying my dad, it was to make sure that he was doing or facilitating the hard work of talking to parents. And that's what he mostly is. Like you can talk to a kid, but he knew that usually he was like the older white guy who was mm -hmm. trying to tell the kid, Hey, don't commit them crimes. And that's not necessarily where you're going to get the most traction because you, he, he understood his position. Like he'll never, he never, never ever carried a weapon, but he was required to have handcuffs. Mm -hmm. What he would try to do, he mostly maintained communication with the parents mm. when possible. And you essentially lay out, what he would do is he would lay out the entire process of all the things it would take to increase the chances that their child would not end up in juvenile hall, would not end up in front of a judge, and likely wouldn't just be set, uh, be a usual suspect to law enforcement. Right. And that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of phone calls. It takes, yeah, take, yeah, in-person visits. And you want to, let's say it costs you 30 hours to give, convince one parent to have their kid go in for uh, 72 or 72 hours of time at juvenile hall rather than have that kid skip out and then have a greater penalty set against him or his family hmm. you need to do x amount of time negotiating uh, creating a relationship with convincing people that that it's worth it um now Sounds Once like nonprofits, <laughs> which we uh, both work yeah. in. In some ways, and that's a lot of time making reports. Now, um, when it came to funding the rehabilitation, that's something that was primarily privatized. The act of um, when somebody thought, hey, this kid, you know, they're a good kid. They just need to spend some time away from this particular <laughs> set of acquaintances, from this particular family member. They wouldn't be committing so many of these offenses if they were mm. far away. Um, the county used to run boys' homes where they'd ideally be able to be in more of a natural, wild setting where they could go for hikes. Counselors would talk to them about whatever's bothering them, whatever seems to be causing them strife. Some programs were better than others. Some were just, you know, like a, a rural house arrest. Others had straight up kayaking trips, camping trips. So when um, we had friends who like, we, we always, there was a couple of girls and yeah. guys that I knew that would be like, yeah. you know, they and would be helped. sneaking out and they're doing drugs and stealing money from mom and dad. And they weren't yeah. bad kids, but they were doing bad stuff. Maybe they started hanging out with, you know, 
more druggy kids or something like that. And then they would just hear like, they would be gone. And then you'd get like a yeah. letter or a phone call two months later saying, I'm doing really great. I'm in Colorado. It was it, yes. those, those were those programs. So they were close. sometimes, but um, again, here's the privatization of it. Um, if you had enough money and if our, you know, coming from Walnut Creek, there'd be plenty of people with money. You would then convince the judge, you know, your lawyer would be essentially propose the idea they're going to go to a program uh, out of state or sometimes in state instead would, of going you know, to detention clean, that type of thing and once people saw how useful that was then the county was like well why do we bother operating these places we'll outsource that all these boys ranches um or you know kids ranches uh free, they stopped free range fucked up yeah. instead of being operated by uh government entities they'd be uh, run by a private enterprise that would you know get some type of licensing and yeah. these motherfuckers were corrupt. These places you were, have to be. Yeah, they'd pocket all with. Once you're trying to save money, if that's your idea, just trying to save money, you are letting people getting away with skimping on food, uh, accommodations. Mm -hmm. There's uh, certain yeah. jobs where you just have to be bad in order for mm -hmm. you to get into that business. Like people who are professional hitmen. Like <laughs> it's not like, oh, well, he's one of the good hitmen. Well, it's Agent 47 is one of the good hitmen, as long as you play the game correctly. But if you are in the business of monetizing um, uh, the problems of, of children mm -hmm. that can be uh, 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 helped, if you're monetizing their pain, if you're monetizing their suffering, if you're monetizing whatever addiction, abuse, all of the things that cause kids, because there's not like Sure, there's bad seed kids, but 99% of the time when kids are acting out, it's because it's been modeled in real life by their dads or their uncles or whatever. So if you are monetizing that system of pain that has to come from abuse somewhere, then you are a bad person. Yeah, because the operating principle there is that once your entity is not, once your rehabilitation entity is focused not on... Um, decreasing uh, recidivism once it's not modeled on the idea of how many of your for lack of a better word graduates are employed or not addicted to drugs uh, if it's only about uh saving money it's no matter what that system is going to be exploited because that's yes. the driving principle of it and it's happening in schools Mm -hmm. uh, it's happening in prisons. I mean, and, and we, you know, we can tie it all the way back to the 13th Amendment, which basically just allows us to use uh, um, yeah. slavery as a form of discipline in our country. So that is, so you're talking about, this is kind of like the light kid. This is like the Nick Jr. Right. Yeah. version of they're not going to be slavery. working. Yeah, they're not going to be yeah. working in a sense that they're um, able to do prison labor. Yeah. But they're not making Lacoste. But you're still shirts. monetized. That's that's the thing. Yes. Like once you become like good I behavior a lot of people, is the product. Yeah, exactly. What a lot of people miss from uh, the idea of they think that once a person goes to prison, they're just a waste, or mm. maybe this person doesn't matter. They're not a part of the economy, and that is very far from the case. Um, yes. Once somebody is in prison or in the criminal justice system being held in any capacity, they're monetized. They become a commodity because it costs money to feed them, house them, provide all these services. And um, if the right people are in play, th they can really make a good profit on it. If their costs are low and mm -hmm. they're able to convince the government to pay the highest possible fee for each individual, 
that's that's money right. and have it cost as little as possible see it's interesting it's one of the only um let's set aside the whole slave labor aspect of the penal mm. system and just talk about the the consumption how much food um and electricity or or clothing um material that is being used to furnish uh these these prisons and house and feed these individuals um if we think just about the consumer side of it it is the only subset of our consumer economy where the actual items are not the um product that the consumption of the items is the the value product that the combining those products with the 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 human beings themselves that is the product that you're selling i'd say there's if there's any type of approximation to it i would actually compare it to like soft products like uh, entertainment mm. um <laughs> what i'm saying like going to like a musical performance or something because what the society claims to be getting from it is stability yes. peace of mind good behavior or education yeah yeah um i'd say comparing it to like education or entertainment i'd say rehabilitation is this squishy thing that is just not as charismatic as these other yes. industries we're um, teaching people to eat. We're teaching people in. It's interesting that that the this model seems to quote work unquote so well for prisons and schools because they're both uh, sort of yeah, institutions. Yeah. In in school, you're teaching people like you know, hey, one plus one or you know, fourteen ninety two. Um, whereas in prison, you're if you're in there for life, you're being taught the lesson of you know. Mm. You wasted yeah. your life, motherfucker. That's why you're here. And if you are, you know, in, you know, doing a stint and you're going to get out or get paroled, you're, you're being taught a lesson. Hey, this is why you don't behave because this sucks. And so it's interesting <laughs> that a lot of times the people who design prisons also end up designing schools and that a ah, lot of yes. the control mechanisms, and obviously it's way worse to be in prison. I mean, down to the architecture. Cool. I mean, there, there, yes. there are prisons that have been repurposed as schools and vice versa. Yes. And uh, obviously learning throughout your entire life is extremely important to me. But I mean, institutional, let's tie yeah. Sorry. But school is one of my least favorite things. I have always hated school. I've always hated going to school, being in school, talking about school. And the whole the fact when I when I heard this idea of the school to prison pipeline, I was like, yes, that correct. Makes sense. <laughs> correct. Because school, yes, school teaches you one plus one, fourteen ninety-two. But what it really teaches you is to go to a place you don't like and don't listen to off. people you don't respect tell you to do things that you don't want to do and that they don't matter it's line up and shut up mm -hmm. because that Still. is the business is good behavior yeah. and that is always the good the bit that is always the business of an autocratic uh society is to produce what the 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 leaders of that society consider to be good behavior mm. We'll be right back on Talk on the Internet. And we're back talking on the Internet with Lee and my illustrious uh, guest, Tom. Oh, hey, everybody. Huh? So I've decided for this part of the broadcast, I'm just going to use this voice. Yeah. Is that, is that a Simpsons person? Hey, it's just me. It's just okay. ridiculous and comedic. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we're here with a vaguely ridiculous and comedic individual um, who has some um, hot takes on John Krasinski 
<sighs> um, actor and now director. Oh my um, God. So it's, I remember years ago when this movie was coming out, this movie that immediately struck me, this movie was called Benghazi or <laughs> what was it called? It was called, oh my God. It was called God, Look How Hot yeah. Jim from The Office Looks with a Gun. Oh, yeah, when he's got, like, a tight shirt on. He's got that tight yes. T-shirt. Yes. The tight T-shirt that's become, like, the staple of CNN anchors. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dude's over 50 taking HGH. Mm. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me look up what this guy's fucking movie is, and I'll try to talk about the same time. Okay. Um, so John Krasinski, like, we all love him as Jim from The Office. Yeah, and now um, um, uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Yeah, and Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. Um, oh, yeah, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Um, so, By the way, like, all of this Benghazi shit, like, I keep thinking about Benghazi, and now I think about the- Remember Benghazi. how important it was? Yes, and now there's bounties on our soldiers' heads, and Trump- Oh, they're not going to say it, shit do about anything. it. And, no, and none of the Republicans seem to be saying shit about it. It's like yeah. Benghazi. And then, of course, all the people, more people have died from coronavirus than Benghazi. But anyway, that's another yeah. story. Back to your, your point about Mr. Krasinski. So I too have had moments where I watch The Office and I laugh out loud and I tear up and I would Weren't think you about- on The Office? Did what? You, were you playing Frisbee on The Office? No, that was Parks and Rec. Oh, okay. I was way off. Um, Adam Scott is, I, I would love to meet Adam Scott again. He was so nice on Parks and Recreation. I, I was just a small little extra in Frisbee Wrangler. Nice. For just uh, two, like two episodes and like, the i think fifth or fourth season and he just just immediately came over just chatting it up with people he's from santa cruz where both lee and i went to college and so we talked about you know ultimate frisbee and the beach and how mean surfers were (laughs) 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 (sighs) but um but John Krasinski is somebody who's managed to just get into our hearts by nature of the fact that he was in a very popular show. And he actually, I'd say, is probably the leading supporting character because Jim never really had to do a whole bunch of heavy lifting in no, that show. He mostly just sort of got to be there while other people did crazy things. Just being but, cute, looking at the camera. Yeah. And still, John Krasinski is great at going, like, being authentic on camera. That's like a talent that, you know, people could study their whole lives and never learn. But there's this other mythos that surrounds John Krasinski where we, a lot of people just assume he has to be like a good guy. Mm-hmm. And I think we're confronting one of those things where we have to ask ourselves, what makes a good guy? Is a good guy somebody who just is and doesn't hurt anybody? Or is a good guy somebody who applies himself to making the world around them a better place or a more equitable place? And I've got beef with him now. Cause like, <laughs> Lay it on me. Oh my God. When his, he put out this YouTube short. By the way, uh, this is a new segment called Tom's Beef. Tom's Beef. (laughs) Tom, what's your name? Let him out. Slice up that cow. (laughs) Then the sound of a grill. It's Tom's Beef. beef. Hot beef. Medium rare. Coming at ya. Real marks. Salt and pepper. Oh yeah. So, this this segment you can find out on YouTube called Some More or Some Good News, where he would just spend time focusing on feel-good stories and gosh, how wonderful the world is. And oh, I know this coronavirus is here, but you know what? Human beings are intrinsically good. And Dog, my wife would be watching. Stick bear, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, like, oh, 
oh, these people are singing to each other through the window. And he then really leaned into his persona of just being a nice, friendly guy. And there was something in the back of my head constantly cycling where I just didn't feel like I believed him. And I'll, I'll make that snap decision. We all do it. Mm-hmm. But my wife is sitting next to me and she's just coming undone. She's being <laughs> melted by this guy. I'm watching my wife just being utterly emotionally ravished. But maybe what you was ravished? No, no. Uh, uh, peaked. Ravished. Emotionally no, not ravaged, because that's gross. Oh, okay. and then it's saying that she's become, she's swooning over the emotionality of Jim from The Office. Ah. Just having a news aggregate show. He's showing clips and talking about how cute it is. And having his other famous friends come in and do a little comedy bit or two. I'm like, great. I'm really happy for you, John, that you have these famous friends that can come and show other people's footage and sort of bask in the kindness of it. Good. That's great. Fine. It makes people happy. Why should I mind? I kept my mouth shut while just watching my wife, you know, tear up watching it. (laughs) So the next show comes up and he's doing it again. This time it's a little bit more involved. People thought his show was so good. He has people on his little YouTube show. They're getting married. They're constantly referring back to the office, you know, playing on Netflix so they can get those clicks and watches in there. Peacock. And get people to download that Peacock bullshit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to get people to watch it. They're referencing it. You know, he makes little, you know, comments about his own directing and how his movie isn't going to come out yet. Oh, geez. Oh, poor Also, John. they say Peacock is free, which makes me feel that there's some sort of slave labor happening. No, it's being we'll talk about that later. Um, so he's doing his feel good show and you guys are jerking off. (laughs) My wife is just feeling so emotionally connected to it. And I am just kind of fuming and I don't know why, because it just feels insincere. Mm. And all he's doing is just aggregating other people's news. And then lo and behold, um, when George Floyd was murdered and everybody was, freaking out everyone was angry everyone was protesting police were cracking down on people and smacking the shit out of them gassing them like cracking their heads open and making them bleed and threatening to do worse during all this time john krasinski shares this little uh his one communique that he sent out during this time was a tweet showing people hugging police He starts like he decides to set himself in the camp of being, oh, you know, all this stuff would just be solved if we could just break dance with cops or if we could just, you know. Painay with cops. Yeah. You know, if if only people would just crack open a Pepsi with each other. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. that's, That's the root of all of our problems. It's not systemic racism. It's not a. It's a lack of violence. We have yeah, no photo ops. We're just not listening to each other rather than confronting the idea that <laughs> no, the reason other. this violence is happening is because we have opposing mindsets of what it means to be free and what it means to have a country. Yes. And he's leaning into this cutesy poo version of it. And in this time, he also sells his idea. His idea isn't amazing. His idea is just be kind of famous, get some other famous people. To share feel-good news. Yes. There are already feel-good news segments, but because he was able to win the star power. And what? then love cops. So that yeah. when you get love pulled cops. over, you get pulled over in your Range Rover with an underage prostitute bleeding out of her nose, they'll be like, hey, hey, 
are you you were on parks and rec and then he'll be like no actually it was the office but yes <laughs> can i take yeah. this bleeding out teen prostitute to the hospital now like sure 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 we'll give you a motorcade wait was john krasinski found with a teen prostitute because i wasn't hurt I no 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 that's just uh that's just some oh we're talking about metaphorical yeah here's the thing <laughs> like, metaphorical teen prostitute of hollywood he probably doesn't yeah the story starts here he probably He's in all likelihood not like a monster of this kind. No. What he is is that yes. he's been given the few position. people are monsters consistently. Yes, people act monstrously. Right. Well, most people don't have the power to be monstrous. So let's say that there are, let's say ten percent of people are monstrous. <laughs> One out of ten people is a fucking monster. Okay. Usually, if that person is just a bus driver, you're just like, oh god, fuck bus driver Rick. That guy is just <laughs> he sucks. He's a monster. Or, you know, if, if a monster is, you know, your, uh, your what, teacher or something, like, oh, God, I fucking hate my monster teacher. But when that one monster is a cop, then things can get really bad. Yeah. So by putting out this worldview, okay, yeah. that's the, like, wh like what you're talking about, that things can be solved by making white people Positive. better by looking at- Yeah, making white people feel better. And that's a huge problem I see in, in our sector is mm -hmm. that um, people want to do, <laughs> they want to donate their money or time to uh, various nonprofits so that they can have a picture of them with black kids on their website. Yeah, and if you want to cycle it back to what we talked about earlier, that's one way in which uh, juvenile offenders or foster youth or young kids who find themselves kind of being ground up. Yeah. That's a way in which they are in some ways monetized. Yes. Um, photo op is a PR bonanza. Um, yes. And if you want to create good press for your onerous multinational company sponsoring um, youth programs for youth offenders or for foster kids or creating photo ops like that that is a means by which the youth are monetized like i'm bothered by the krasinski thing in that he takes other people's moments of captured empathy or humanity and he's found a way to monetize that and that again offends at the core of me of what it seems to be to ex to excel in this country that if anything exists, it must be monetized. And if it's yeah. not being monetized, it is going to be scooped up by somebody else. You can't just let things be, or you yeah. can't just feel something. It has to be in some way leveraged against the rest of the media landscape in order yeah. to create value. Sorry, <sighs> bring it, bringing it all Marxist over here. No, 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 believe me. If I was worried about Marxists talking in my podcast, I wouldn't allow my co-host or my wife or, frankly, myself. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a Marxist. That shit doesn't go far enough. Marxism is too right wing for me. I'm like, I'm like, Marxism assumes that we can like reform the current system into something that's good. I consider myself to be a compassionate anarchist. Not in the way, like most people think of anarchy and they think yeah. of like things on fire. I think of anarchy in the literal term to be like when you think about monarchy, which is, you know, the idea of this one powerful thing, that anarchy is the opposite of that. The many. That anarchy is the idea that you don't control me. I don't control you. The cop is here to protect me. The president is here to enforce laws to protect me. Okay? The, the Congress is there to... Uh, to uh, create laws to uh, bureaucracy, uh, they're they're not supposed to be uh, objects of respect, reverence, exactly, and, and 
yeah, they're they're a they're serving a functional purpose. Yes, and I and feel frankly, like that's this weird thing. Yeah, correct. And frankly, I like I don't really recognize the authority of the U.S. government. The only reason why I have to follow the U.S. government is that if I like, first of all, I don't really have any opportunity. There's no, there's nothing in my life where I'm doing anything like truly revolutionary where like the government needs to like put a lid on me in order to like keep things going. Yeah. But even if we're I, breathing in. Right. But to the extent which I obey our societal laws that exist outside of morality, obviously I don't need society to tell me not to, you know, kill or rape or steal or any of that kind of shit. But the, the extent to which I obey the arbitrary yeah. rules of society is only because I am afraid of authority. Not that I recognize I love it. the idea of there being people like hardcore authoritarians taking credit for bullshit yes. you're already doing. Like you're walking down the street and you know, a cop yells at you, hey, did you, did you rob a bank? And you're like, no. And they're like, yeah, I thought so. I love your cop. You're welcome. The you're dumb like, guys we went to school in high, in high school with. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't get me started about the one that became a cop, though. Woo. Okay. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> I heard some, I heard some yeah. horrible stories about him, but beep. Oh, God. Gonna- I would love to hear about them yeah, later. We're, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. We don't put people's names like that here. Oh, we're oh, you gonna bleep that yes. out. You'll bleep that yes. out, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, like the thing is, what, <laughs> like I don't, uh, I I don't like um, respect the authority of cops because, uh, like, I'm like, yes, I respect the authority of the United States that has been handed down through our system of bureaucracy and, and comes all the way down through the local municipalities to this individual with a fucking gun that's har- and God that's har- and God that's harassing this black kid for <laughs> trying to buy skittles or something. Um, I don't recognize their authority. I recognize they have guns. I recognize they can throw me into jail for like really no reason. They can just be like form yeah. a fake, just do a fake field sobriety test or do anything and just fucking throw you away. They sort of give you like a little like up and down and think, uh, yes. how much could this guy make my life irritating after he exactly. gets out? So the feeling I get when I see a cop and decide to go the other way is the same feeling I get when I see a couple guys that might, you know, oh, these guys might be gangbangers or something like obviously i'm not the kind of person that sees like two black kids on the street it's like ah! but you know sometimes you see people white black whatever that look sketchy and they you go the other way you know and it's not that i respect the nice their about, authority it's like i don't want to fucking tussle with these people if you live in a city uh like really live in one long enough you start to realize oh man there's all different types of shit <laughs> yeah exactly like like the first yeah the first uh fucked up shady or like violent incidents i was ever involved in san francisco Mm -hmm. were like with white people um white people are always like mugging people didn't you get mugged by white guys uh oh well when i was a kid these three kids wanted to beat me up uh and then also but in in san francisco um yeah like the very like the first incident was uh somebody who's it was essentially a yeah it was a gay bashing it was a white guy uh, against uh like a much smaller white guy and his uh, friends. And that was, yeah, it was super intense. Ended up funny, but, um, uh, and yeah, and just, it's this wild thing where you can look at whatever statistics and paint yourself a picture about latent criminality, mm-hmm. but you have to understand that the, like, even the statistics that we try to, define our societal responses are 
flawed in so many yeah. ways. The ways in which crimes are reported, uh, the way in which they're expressed, and the way in which even the way you display a data set can utterly oh, yeah. change what its meaning is. And we've got is. all these think tanks that can generate whatever narrative they want based on whatever studies. Studies show. Yeah. You know, the, one yeah. of the biggest things that like freaked me out during my JFK research was the idea that a book could have fake information in it. It was something, <laughs> I was yeah. far too old. I was probably 19 or what when I got into that shit. I was far too old to just then be realizing like, oh, you could put oh, lies I'm... in a book. And yeah. I think now that we're- well, That would be the point of that. <laughs> and now that we're like looking at the way that we were taught about our own history and then compare it to the actual human experience within our borders, we realize like, oh, hell of books have lies in them. And the same thing goes with reports and studies. And I'm not saying that like I am a, a um, anti-data person. A lot of my job has to do with collecting yeah. and, and, yeah. and understanding data. But people like to pretend that data itself doesn't have, and I'm not trying to get into alternate facts. I'm just, uh, when people, people want to create complete pictures from yes. data and want to assume that it is complete data. Yes. Whereas the trying to make sense of every data point that surrounds the systemic problems with our criminal justice system and racial disparities is, is mammoth. Mm -hmm. we, we can't just trust data sets to create an overarching picture. Yeah. What we can do is look at data to drive specific societal responses. Yes. Correct. And yeah, I mean, it also, you're talking about how it's presented. Like I always think of the uh, nine out of 10 doctors recommend dent, you know, this fucking toothpaste. But it's like, what if the one doctor, the one guy's like, oh, actually there's rat poison in this. Yeah, what's written like, oh, all the other nine doctors, they all, you know, went to the same country club a week ago with the people from Trident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you could, so you have your study there and you could present it two different ways. You could say, um, doctor, during study, doctor finds that Colgate has rats. Yeah. <laughs> or you could say nine out of 10 doctors were paid off to say there's, that this shit's fine. Nine out of 10 doctors find rat poison to be a delicious <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh boy. To try to gum. Arsenic has a minty, winter fresh mm, flavor. Mm -hmm. Try our new pina colada blend. Oh boy. Oh my God. Man, you know what? You thought you were gonna talk to me and this was gonna be fun. No, fun. You thought we were gonna talk. This dude, believe me, things. this show if that's what you want to call it like usually just yeah. descends into like uh just marxist anti-police rambling so it's like totally fine <laughs> you're like oh am i taking you off the no we're not off the reservation the only way that we're off the reservation is that we haven't talked about 90s video games yet but uh you know mm. if we want to deeply you know bust in oh here we can touch on this um so I still like cartoons. I love animation. It appeals to my brain. And I love video games. Yes. I likely always will until I, I don't know, maybe I get a partial lobotomy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, at one point, um, uh, I was, oh, hello. Hi. Uh, hey, Lee, are we visual right now? Oh, you're now? visual. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Hello. This is, I didn't uh, realize I thought this season. was a podcast situation, like a voices. Oh, it is, but so like we're we're just looking at each other, which is funny. I just shaved my mustache yesterday. It would have been oh, you guys would have been, been mustache twins. twins. We've actually the other been... voice you hear is uh, is Suzel Sean Calepere. Mm. Nice. We've actually been mistaken as I don't know twins, but as brothers before. Aww. There was this time, uh, uh, Tommy was in this production of uh, Romeo and Juliet, 
And I remember you came up to me at school and you were like, I'm going to audition for Romeo to Juliet and you better not show up. And I was like, oh. I was like <laughs> okay. You're a bully. What a fucking. I was dick. like, I was like, first of all, uh, I'm not the kind of like. First of all, like, I didn't know about oh this. God. This was like in, in <laughs> I just or some shit. There's no way I could have possibly heard about this oh. except for you telling you me about to go. But I was like, I don't. I was like, no. Hey, brother. If anything, I'd want to be your Mercutio. Okay, Romeo is a thankless part. So who was Romeo? He, uh, yeah, he was Romeo. Oh. Clearly, Tom was Romeo. Come on, look at look at this guy. Um. At least we all got to watch him die at the end. <laughs> so your dad and your mom, like, take your parents, like, take me on, like, a cute, like, family date to go see you in the play. It was really nice. They took me out to dinner, Aww. and, like, it was really sweet. So, yeah, we actually, we all went out to dinner um, afterwards, and I don't remember what it was, but some woman at the restaurant, Melo's Pizza, also pronounced Milo's Pizza, my <gasps> Milo's favorite pizza. hometown oh pizza restaurant, uh, they... The, this lady came up to me and she's like, I saw your brother in Romeo and Juliet. And he was amazing. Oh I was like, God. so actually, you know what? This was a different time. Actually, your parents took me out to a nice dinner beforehand. This was a separate <laughs> dinner engagement a couple weeks later with oh my, my family at this restaurant. And this woman comes up to me, she's like, I saw your brother oh in a play God. and he was a beautiful Romeo. And I was like, be it had been just long enough since the play that I was completely bewildered as to what. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, yeah, Tom. No, that guy's not my brother. In fact, he threatened me when he told me that this play was happening. <laughs> oh, my God. Goddamn bully. I was a little narcissist. Oh, it's funny. Oh, but, Tom, That's we've sweet. had many adventures together. We've, you know, from, yeah. oh! from the south of France to yeah. Larry Flint Hustlers Club and many, um, many shows and adventures oh and drugs in between. Um, wait, can we actually use this time to actually talk about something from the past? Do we have, how many minutes do we have? Dude, I have an unlimited okay. Podbean account. I have many minutes oh, okay, I want. Sweet. Um, <laughs> let's cycle this back to something. This is going to go back to uh, the days of Master of Every Situation. Ah, this was a... It was a Let's call it a student, student film. film we produced <laughs> Wherein Lee and his oh. colleague, Kevin, uh, um, were the driving forces of creating a seminal action film that combined a, like if you take Keanu Reeves' ability to just be a blank cipher yes. that people project themselves onto, mm -hmm. uh, the star of this movie was somebody far more somnambulant, somebody who was able to create such a non-presence that they became infinitely more charismatic <laughs> yes. than the most outgoing person it was world. one of the best now, performances i've ever seen and this person went on to be a successful person uh he he oh, filmed yeah. a tell he directed a television program overseas he has a beautiful this, wife this is, oh my God, surprisingly we, we hot wife. talk about daniel later <laughs> yeah. but um, anyway Sorry, let's, go ahead. let's i want to talk about an incident that happened while we were filming this and i was reminded of it when i saw something popping around facebook where people were posting a meme saying I've had the, uh, the police have drawn a gun on me. Mm -hmm. Who else can share this? And of course, you know, I, when I read that, I'm like, Oh, never. You know, I, that's I have people like I've, I'm a blue eyed white guy. I've, and I've been pretty good at not getting, leveraging that. Then suddenly it came to me. There was an incident back in our youth where we were trying to oh, film. I forgot you were there. Action. Oh, on a roof 
of uh, school. of a middle school or a post high school. Columbine. This was post Columbine. When we were wearing trench this coats. Months. This I think I think was less than a year since the Columbine yes. shooting. Well, we're Klebold and what's his name, Dylan or something. Um, uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Eric, yeah, Dylan Klebold killed those kids. Oh, we're persona. We go up on the roof of an elementary school on the weekend with painted black fake yes. guns and trench coats. Yes. And we're running up there, getting shots of people like, you know, Dying. doing a storming of a school. Yes. Um, now, when the police actually showed Several up, squad I was on cars. The- At least three, possibly four squad cars with two officers each. Now, I was pretty out of shape and I was finding it hard to get onto the roof. <laughs> so I was trying to find like a better access point. But I can't remember if I actually ever had the gun drawn on me. I think they were displayed. Um, yeah, they, they pulled their piece on us. Come on, I re- and I remember getting fucking bent over and getting my like my getting the the pat down. Yeah, did they have their guns out at any? Yes, point? they did. When we were on the roof, when they first approached the roof, and I remember looking. Somebody out. called in saying, "There's kids with guns yes. on the there roof was, of a." There was pool. one uh, officer had his firearm drawn and then the other guy was standing back you know how the they do that thing where the other guy stands on towards the side of the car and he just has his hand yeah. like sort of ready to draw so there was at least i remember seeing at least one officer's uh, sidearm uh, being pointed at us and they searched uh i think it was kevin's cousin yes. kevin's cousin had like um a pipe filled with weed on him <laughs> so this also is some amazing like uh you know, suburban white privilege. kid privilege. Yeah, that to the fact that we weren't afraid. After we were stopped by the police, they were the, so one of us was searched. The, as I remember the story went, the hand stopped over his uh, pocket that had the pipe in it, and the police officer just like stopped, and his head fell it's down. Like, I don't want to have to do He's this. Like, 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 oh fuck, I don't want to have to deal with this. And he said something along the lines of, "What's in your pocket?" And the guy just sort of froze, and he said, "Is it a flashlight?" And he was like, oh, yeah. I was like, great. I remember <laughs> that now. Cool. Dude, that kid, he was cool. He was like Kevin's cool cousin. I mean, we were all fucking dorks. Yeah, he was a cool cousin. And I, I remember beforehand, yeah, and, and such, such a moment of, of privilege, too. Like, to the fact that I don't remember being We didn't even air. We didn't get shot. No, I don't, and I don't remember being scared either. I was like, oh, jigs up. We don't get to finish oh, the movie. Oh, we're in trouble. God, fucking cops again, trying to protect our neighborhood and care about us. Ugh. But police officers getting a call that maybe kids are trying mm-hmm. to recreate the best part is when we came home and um the door opened and my mom and dad were like standing on the stairs and they just gave us a standing ovation and and here's you want to talk white privilege this is what they said they're like the police officers called and they told us about your behavior and how they corrected it and informed you why this was bad behavior and they just wanted us to know that not only were we were you very well behaved nice children but you also seemed very talented <laughs> I was like, this, this, if you don't think that privilege, don't think that privilege exists. I want you to imagine Breonna Taylor asleep in her house in Kentucky and getting shot for being, not even being in the wrong house. She was in the right house by not being in the the wrong house, by being in the, not the right house. And they went into the wrong house. Okay. She's killed in her bed. Meanwhile, I'm waving around an actual, what looks to be a gun, have a gun pointed at me. And then. I, and then not only do we laugh it off, but they call the house not to get us in trouble, but to tell us how nice we were. But the fun, another funny part of the story is beforehand, as we were selecting our arsenal, I remember Kevin's cool cousin had this um, trash bucket filled with toy guns. And it was like, 
machine guns and handguns and every kind of this is when you could still get a squirt gun that looked like an actual firearm i just can't believe it but yeah now everything has to be some dumbass star wars blaster i know on the flip side people are modifying their glocks to look like you know light zappers or to look like water pistols exactly gun full circle exactly so or yeah like like my cool bb gun right here that just looks like a fucking cold peacemaker but anyway i'm just gonna wave this around for the next oh, wow. rest of the show but um makes it, yeah, it makes me feel like i'm doc brown in the beginning of back to the future he's like <laughs> i brought it but i didn't load it what am i doing but i did remember to wear the bulletproof vest what's going on um marty we've got to go back in time and cover up these plot holes <laughs> uh okay uh shit oh yeah so we we pulled out the the arsenal of uh of of weaponry we're all selecting all this shit and i found this cool ass knife and i was like i'm it had like a serrated edge it looked like this real terrifying fucking you know fuck up fucking knife and so while the cops were patting me down you know what i was wrong i was afraid at this moment actually when they start when they first pointed the guns i wasn't afraid because i'd gotten in trouble for filming in the wrong place before i was afraid when he started patting me down because i remembered i had this badass knife and he was like son is there anything i should know about and i was like i do have a knife on me um you know again the fact that i lived when i told the cop i was literally armed um is ridiculous but anyway, so he pulls out the knife and he looks at the other officer and he just starts laughing. <laughs> and I was like, what's the fun? He's like, this is for gutting fish. Oh, it has the little hook at the end? Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. That's really funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, good times in, in privileged white suburbia. We never did finish that movie, I don't think. Oh, for yeah, real? I think that was something else. Wasn't that the second? Yeah, we switched up and then we did that, oh. that horror movie, but I don't think we finished that one either. The horror movie with... Oh, yeah, that, weren't you the killer? Where's Jesse the killer? I I think I was a villain yeah. in... Um, I was Maple Syrup. Guy. <laughs> okay. I think we're mixing up like three different movies that we didn't yeah. finish. Oh, it's hard to keep track of that yeah well it's kind of like orson welles you can never get uh, yes i am comparing myself to orson welles he could never get his later films like produced you, and so oh yeah dude you put it back on a mustache you definitely you yeah know, oh yeah 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 <laughs> uh but uh you know he could be our brother so he would just start he would just start one day and him and his like french wife would just like start doing a one-person production of moby dick and he would film like five minutes of it and he'd be like fuck this, let's go eat. And then the next day he'd be like, oh, I'm going to do a movie where I just play Winston Churchill and he would do like five. So there's like these five minute like beginnings of so many different Orson Welles films. And I feel like we were the um, DV, digital video version of that back when you had to have a camera to film a movie. But anyway, yeah, you were talking about, speaking of movies, you were talking about how your, your brain is still adjusted to cartoon. My brain is still adjusted to like cartoon video games, but I do have trouble watching animated programs that aren't like the Simpsons or things. Hmm. Like I tried to get back into the Clone Wars and I kept watching a couple episodes, but it's, it felt like homework. What's well, the 3D animation sometimes I can find alienating. Yes. I don't like that as much as actual what, what feels like hand-drawn, mm. even though usually it's computer assisted. Right. Um, but I was gonna talk about something from the 90s that ties in video games. Great. Um, now, I'm not sure how much of a fan of it you were at the time, but I liked DuckTales, mm-hmm. woo woo. I was a big fan of DuckTales. All of those Disney side-scroller platformers were pretty good. 
it, it ported to the Game Boy. Yes. So, so this was on Nintendo Entertainment um, System and then also the Game Boy uh, uh, system. Yes. Um, now, the DuckTales cartoon was also something that I, I liked fine enough. Sometimes a little bit too kiddie. Sometimes it was fun. Um, I generally liked the an old uh, Scottish duck <laughs> as a protagonist. And Huey doing Louie were cute. The movie was fun. It was kind of like an Indiana Jones type adventure where they're going after a, Oh, yeah. Um, that was super It was a fun. And they recently rebooted and they added a, a, a little little girl yeah. duck. I, I want to talk about she's, that she's reboot. Um, yeah, she's so adorable, little girl, and she fits in perfectly with the other, with the other little boy ducks. And animation mm-hmm. style is cute. You know what? You're, you're right. I actually have watched this cartoon and it is good and my brain can still deal with cartoons. Please proceed. Uh, so there is sometimes just amazingly um, apropos of not knowing of nothing, of nothing, no, knowing nothing about the plot or what comes mm-hmm. in there. I will watch a piece of animation. Usually if music is tied yeah. in there, that just hits me right in my soul's mm-hmm. gut and makes me tear Aww. up. And um, there is a um, a character named Della Duck, which is the heretofore unknown mother of Huey, Dewey, uh, and Louie. Yes. Uh, the sister of Donald. I have about she this. has a tragic story where she gets lost in space, where because of a horrible accident, she gets stranded on the moon. <laughs> is this J.J. Abrams? What the fuck is going on? Oh, man. Um What's amazing is that they have a theme. They have a moon theme used by uh, musically, which is lifted from the DuckTales video game. It's called the moon theme, and it is one of the most exhilarating pieces of music. That was a tough level, as I recall. Oh, yeah. Moon level was tough. You could jump higher. uh, There are moon creatures, but I loved it. And I remember I would just turn i would get to that level and just leave it on just so i can listen to the music <laughs> coming from my little 8-bit game boy because i just found the music so pretty and you couldn't just look up a song on the internet the way you can now uh in the new rebooted cartoon they take that song and they apply it to that show they create lyrics that is about the mother singing to her children her little boys that she can't wow. see that she's never seen because they were in eggs and is this lullaby is of the mother amazing. her children and it is also has like another version where it's amped up and turned into like an inspirational song of escaping from like your moon prison in order to get to your kids. And oh my God, just talking about it, I'm getting it. Wow. I'm getting some feels. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, Della Duck voiced by Paget Brewster, one of the unsung heroes the of supporting actors yeah. in movies and TVs. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, the show looks great. They rebooted that. They rebooted uh, uh, the game, too. You can get a, a HD remaster of the, the original Nintendo game. Uh, they re- redid the mm. music animation, and I think you can switch back to the original version, which, um, yeah, those those Disney side-scrollers, have, they've made a, a good comeback. The, the ones that I thought were the best were the Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis era, Lion King, and Aladdin. The animation was so beautiful. Oh, Aladdin. Aladdin for SNES. SNES. Yeah. I like more than the one for Sega. The one on Sega was fine, but it, they, there wasn't like a crisp collision mm-hmm. graphics uh, the way they were with Aladdin. Aladdin, you felt like they had a sense of yes. place, whereas I feel like for the Sega Genesis one, it was more like cartoons placed on a flat mm, screen. Interesting. But yeah, that's how those have those have held up, and and yeah, but you know, and I think you're showing like what happens when uh, fans grow up and become the the content creators, and, and I think we're we're seeing a lot of that. You know, I mean, the, the new JJ verse uh, Star Wars and Star Trek is is a, is a perfect example of 
of someone growing up and you know and all of the marvel movies those guys are all <laughs> gals are all fans too um the but then it sort of turns into fan films and it's funny that these movies you know when we yeah. were kids we made all these little parody movies we were doing star wars scenes and you know oh, yeah. matrix scenes and you know we're 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 said that they were parodies but really we just were wanted to like we just want to do, do it. it you know like those kids that made held back by our medium and our lack of funding exactly i mean spielberg started off trying to recreate war movies or war footage that he saw exactly and so yeah the jabrams of the world um they now do this with you know hundreds of millions of dollars so you get that satisfaction of seeing those games that you wanted those uh those stories that you know you wanted to tell as a little a little kid uh, you get that, but then you also get the shittiness of it that it seems like it's some little boy that's like, and then Han Solo has a son who's like Darth Vader, but he's not. But no, but, oh, no, because you missed the part where he had he had six guns that were bigger than the other gun because his blaster is so powerful and is only one of a kind because he stole the special charger pack on Blurbo 4. Exactly. Well, that's why, you know, it, it's so funny that like that whole, and I don't want to get too down a Star Wars path right now, but that whole mo- first of the new Star Wars movies is all about people who are like obsessed with the old version and are collecting the old version. Mm-hmm. Think about what they're, they're all, tr- everyone's ga- like game that they're playing in those movies is to get Star Wars merchandise. Like Star Wars fans, like we always want to get the new lightsaber, the new helmet, Boy, whatever <laughs> and everyone in that movie is a star wars fan is trying to get yeah Han trying trying to, to get and it's photo. always the killer ones like like kylo ren has his like his darth vader helmet that he keeps in his little case and they're trying to get the lightsaber the collectible lightsaber they're trying to get the millennium falcon it's all about fans <laughs> that are like trying to get the the shit which is why like that movie is fun when all those movies are really fun when you watch them because it's just like eating fucking candy you know just just eye candy and brain candy and then when you think about them you're like that might have been the stupidest movie that i have ever seen (laughs) Um, yeah well it's it's they take these sort of i don't want to call them inane but they seem to be like these simple pleasures depicted and given a narrative in a very deft way in a very competent way because, I mean, we go back to other movies that had a big impact on our childhood, made with a similar type of youthful attempting to be adult-like abandon, or movies like Indiana back Jones, where, yeah, where they're going to these places and acquiring these special totems that represent their capability. Indiana Jones finding his artifacts. Yes. The um, quest. Yeah, and... And it's not just like that William Campbell Heroes, or what, whatever his journey. name, Heroes Joseph journey Campbell. Oh, Joseph Campbell. Yeah, it's. I think there's also something to the idea that with with being children of the '80s, yes. the idea that a lot of our entertainment was derived from buying stamped plastic. Yes. It's very similar to <laughs> the content now. TV. Like we've sort of seen like yeah. a re. Now that the people who we're consuming that content or now creating and participating in that content. We're sort of seeing a, a, another wave of that. But yeah, I mean, it is amazing that there's just stamp plastic, like this cup I'm using, the Star Wars cup, it says LFL, Lucasfilm Limited, which as a kid, every, all the toys that I had all had LFL on the bottom and I never knew what the fuck that meant. And I never really thought about it until <laughs> I was finishing a drink and I went, oh, all of this shit in my life has been stamped with this weird corporate thing. And actually that brings me to, um, 
you're talking about these elemental stories, these hero journeys and, and quests and all this kind of stuff. You know, there's that whole thing of like the four different basic stories or the five different basic stories. You know, I've been trying to think for years. Man versus human versus human, human versus nature. Yeah, I think, like well, that. those are like the types of conflict that you have. And by the way, the man versus the machine, the reason why I always say video games are so amazing, it is the ultimate physical manifestation of the conflict between man versus the machine. But anyway. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but there's like, they always say that there's these five different types of stories and it goes back and forth. Some people say there's only three or two or whatever. But today I was thinking about it and I boiled it down to five. And I want to throw this, you're a storyteller, you're an actor. You've done all of these things and we're going to lay it out and then we're going to test it. Okay. So the five stories are star-crossed lovers, fish out of water, who done it, where is it, and rise and fall. Those are the five stories. So who, so who done it um, and where is it? Where is it is the quest, you know, your Raiders of the Lost Ark type thing. Mm -hmm. You know, whodunit is a mystery. It can be any type. It doesn't have to be a murder. It can just be any type of mystery where you're sort of, un the whole point of the game of the story is to unravel that. Fish Out of Water is obviously your Star Trek IV, uh, your, the, the first Thor movie. Coming to America. Yeah, exa yeah, the Captain, second Captain of America, or America movie. Oh, Coming to America. Or what's Coming to America, yeah, these are great Fish Out of Waters. You know, and then Romeo and Juliet is your star-crossed lover. And um, the, the, yeah, um, the quest is, you know, the hero's journey, going out and finding that, you know, answering the call and the threshold guardian and all that kind of shit. And then there's rise and fall. And it doesn't have to be rise and fall in any particular order, but that is your Scarface. That is your Richard III. That- Citizen Kane. What's that? Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane is a perfect rise and fall. Exactly. So those are the five. Um, I don't know. Legally Blonde. Where does Legally Blonde Legally Blonde into? is a fish out of water story because you've got Ooh, this ditz. Well, here's, here's the great thing is you have multiple. So it's your fish out of water. You also got Star-Crossed Lovers because you have the teacher and, and her. Um, and, and, and so they're in love. And then she's also in love with the other guy who's like her Rosaline, essentially. So yeah, that's fish out of water. And, uh, and also, and there's a little bit of rise and fall in there as well. Let's let's pick some other. That's movies. what I want to do um, exactly next. It's just test. Just throw some out. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you tell. Hold on. Can, can we pause it yeah, for just one second? I'm gonna grab some water. Yeah, I'll be right back. I just want to grab something. My mouth is getting dry. Did you grab like a Leonard Malton guy? <laughs> a Leonard Malton guy? No. But yeah, let's, let's play. So yeah, those are, that's my theory, five. And I've, I've gone through every DVD in my house, every book in my house, and like, I, and I have not, and, and I've never, and it's never really been a stretch either. Sometimes there's more. So you're compulsive. This is but yeah, let's try some out. Throw your, what's your favorite movie? Uh, I hate that question. Let me just pick. What's the movie that, that I was? Oh wait, okay, no, no, okay, no, no. Here's um. Oh no, I guess that fits too. I was about to say like, uh, I was trying to think of like absurd, gross-out. What's the movie you watch um, over and over again? When, when most people can't actually answer the question, what's my favorite? Oh, Zoolander. That's a fish out of water. It's a rise and fall. definitely a rise and fall. Almost, but yeah, because he actually doesn't become a model again. He no. just. Yeah, and it can go within whatever order you want. Like you could have a Fisher King type story where he starts out 
high. He starts out high and then he falls and then he rises. Or you can start, mm. you know, with Scarface. He starts at the bottom and then he rises and then falls. It's, this is tough. Now I'm kind of stuck because it's like, what am I trying to do? Stump you? And if your system works, I can't. Yeah. Well, it's I always these. I think of this as a collaborative game. Like, yeah, throw you know, throw some tough ones at me. But yeah, what's the movie you watch over and over again? What's the movie I watch over and over again? Um. Well, when watching movies with my wife, we keep on going back to Scream. Scream. Oh, Who yeah, done let's it? Find some horror. That one's easy. Scream? Yeah, I guess that does typically factor into a whodunit where they don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole game Fuck. of the movie is, is is you think that everyone, a good, and that's why Scream is such a good whodunit, is because there's a point in the movie where you think everyone has done it. Scream is one of the best mm -hmm. whodunits because you think it's, yeah. you, you think it's, is it the principal? Is it the boyfriend? Everybody gets a moment where they're like, why are you over here? Exactly. You should inside this room. It's secret. <laughs> That movie's good. It holds the fuck up, and I like all of them too. I didn't really. I I recently watched the fourth one. Very meta. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they all are, but this one was pretty. I had, didn't watch it because I thought it was supposed to be a passing of the baton style movie. So I was like, I don't care about these kids. I didn't realize that all of my favorite people were in it because uh, some of the young people that were in it, they went to my restaurant that I was working in in Los Angeles, and they did not tip. So I was like, I'm not. Gonna oh fuck. Move. Yeah, <laughs> what uh, Dewey was a real dick to you? No, no, Dewey was fine. Dewey I'm talking about number four. I, did, I never been served by Dewey, but uh, I mean, never managed to serve Dewey. <laughs> just, just but, what's his name, uh, David Arquette? Arquette. Hey, I man, bet you, you want I a burger? Him. I'm gonna put it on my face. He's a fantastic server. What's that? I bet he. I bet he's a fantastic. Yeah. Server. Oh yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Um. Oh yeah, scream who done it? I don't know. What's yeah? What what's the uh, yeah? Let's see. Who? What are? What's a, what's a random movie? Yeah, I just watched Let's Back see. to the Future. I'm going to go to today. random movie generator. What's that? I'm going, I'm going to random movie. Are oh, they going to say the movie Reanimator? Reanimator's kind of rise and fall. Ooh. I don't think I've ever. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't think I've ever that's seen Reanimator all the way through. I've de I've definitely watched all of the it's... gross scenes on YouTube. I think that would be a yeah. rise and fall, but I don't know for sure. Ooh, I. Rise and fall. But yeah, I mean, I was talking about, best, I was thinking like best movie. movies ever. And I was, yeah, Citizen Kane, definitely Rise and Fall. Gone with the Wind uh, is right. There's a lot of talk about that. That's right. Rise and Fall. Um, but it's also Star-Crossed Lovers because of Rhett and Scarlet. How about, there's some other movies that I've seen um, recently. Did you watch, I thought it was going to be pretty terrible, but it was turned out being relatively okay. The reboot of The Invisible Man. I think originally slotted to be part of the Dark Universe. Oh yeah, uh, with um, cinematic universe. With, Elizabeth yeah, Moss is yeah. Peggy. I have not seen and that. I have not seen that. It. I thought it would be like a solid six type of movie where it you know made for TV. It's supposed style. to be good and very much about this moment. Yeah, and it's it. If it weren't for Elizabeth Moss, the movie would not matter because there's plenty of elements where the script falls short, where nothing's really mm -hmm. happening. And some of the supporting cast is very uh, like made for TV yeah. movie. I haven't seen that one, you but know, usually those sort of Jekyll and Hyde, Invisible Man, like the ones where it's a scientist who's doing it. It's not a rise and fall. I don't want to give too much about the, the plot. But it is a rise and fall? If anything, I guess it could, it, it's just about a woman being terrorized. Yeah. Interesting. By, by a abusive 
partner. Hmm. And I think movies that sort of defy this categorization might be movies where it's almost about just observing human extremists yeah. or people in bad situations. Yeah. Like let's take a movie like um, 127 Hours or something where it's just somebody who's encountered a terrible accident. I wouldn't necessarily consider that a rise and no. fall. A lot of times um, those ones I would, I would, those are like the quest. A lot of times where it's like, you know, like a shitty night that goes like somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would describe that to that because it's not a clear path that leads them on a journey, just merely avoiding catastrophe, I don't think qualifies no. as a quest. Yeah, I can't, you know, I can't speak to those films because I haven't I've stumped you, motherfucker, oh, you piece of shit. shit. I finally <laughs> foiled this theory that I've had for probably six well, Obviously, all the movies that defeat your theory are conveniently I've movies. Never seen, you yeah, I've never seen that fucking movie, motherfucker, but I'm sure I'd be able oh. to call it. I don't know. Give me some other ones. What a fucking surprise. No! <laughs> Fuck you. Eat my shit. <laughs> okay. So anyway... <laughs> I stumped you. I beat you, Lee. I beat you, Mr. Oh, wait, I don't want to say your last name. Does your last name exist in this universe? Yeah, it does. Nah, nah, nah. Oh, you motherfucker. Oh, man. My little snake brain got inside yours and ate your mice. Oh, you stupid bastard. All right, so wait, what is 127 hours? Um, I think that's, that's the one where it's um, Franco has been pinned underneath a rock. Mm. Oh. And in order to get out from underneath the rock, he has to fuck the rock. Come on, that's or a dude, that is a rise and fall. Are you kidding me? That's not He just falls. No. no it's, it's a, that is a that is a rise, rise and fall. And it no. doesn't have to be He doesn't achieve anything. He, okay, he starts out. I know this I don't know that movie, but I know this dude's story. So, like I said, rise and fall, you can start at the high and then fall. Or you can start at the low and then go up, right? Fisher King or Scarface. So I feel like you're changing the rules in order to make yourself win. <laughs> no, no, I will win by my own rules. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so he starts out and he's this healthy athletic guy who can do, you know, do all these amazing things. And then he falls to this depth of like, basically I'm going to die. And then he manages to chew his own fucking arm out and literally rise again and climb out. It's also, I mean, it doesn't help my case that he literally has to rise out of a ravine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, okay, it's but, literally um, a rise and fall. Anyway. There's somebody. Okay. Oh, okay. Both so, of our um, wives are walking around in the background. So, you know, maybe, or I saw you looking at her. So maybe that's our cue that we need to wrap this up. Lee, can we make a movie called The Wives Are Walking Around in the Background? Could it be about like self-interested men who podcast? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I was just I was just thinking there should just be a whole show of different podcasts of people telling their husbands and wives like it just another it'll be another just 15 minutes we're just wrapping up just wrapping up just, just wrapping, wrapping up. up um I'm trying to think then of movies that are awful okay or movies that defy okay uh have you ever seen uh Yargos Lanthimos movies I wouldn't consider them awful I think they're great but oftentimes they focus on uncomfortable situations he's made his biggest movie that came out uh recently won an oscar for what's her name um octavia coleman elizabeth coleman it was called the favorite it had rachel weiss in it yes um, Cross lover rise and yeah. fall but anyway i'm not talking about that uh other movies that the lobster has, 
the lobster. Yes, the lobster, killing of a sacred deer. For killing of a sacred deer, I don't know if that that fits into Rise and Fall. Nobody rises. It's a tale of slow revenge. Lobster is a little bit fish out of water just because you're... Oh, lobster, yeah. I'm not trying to get Fuck you. Stop trying to win. Look, the two ones that I have seen, I had an answer to. This other one that I don't know what you're talking about, I don't have it. Lobster, wait a minute. Is that, do you think that counts as fish out of water? Yeah, that's also Starcross Lovers, I would say. Oh, God. You have to apply, not everything's just gonna be roses. Starcrossed. Lee, in your world, does just existing mean that you're, you have a star and it's crossed? Yeah, pretty much. Look, everyone. Oh, actually, that's kind of. No, sweet. in my universe, I basically just come up with different um, uh, poetics. <laughs> eventually i'm gonna write this into a book it's like the aesthetic ideals of lee yeah. here's a guy who's not never made a dime off of storytelling that is going but has somehow managed to tell millions of stories of oh my years. god yeah i've actually a book would, about what makes a good story and i'll tell you i would say that you're, it's oh, three things that make a good movie a dope-ass theme song <laughs> a action scene of some kind and tasteful partial nudity mm-hmm. and the the version of this for a play what makes a good play is um first you got to have a musical number not just a theme a sword Ooh. fight not just an action scene and tasteful partial nudity so romeo and juliet is a you're the smartest person i know who has terrible taste. i know that's just <laughs> i always my wife and i always say we have great poor we have great bad taste so but yeah, Romeo and Juliet's perfect example. You got you see Olivia Hussey's tits. There's a great sword fight, and they sing that a time to time for us song. And then for books, it's a slightly different, um, slightly different um, um, poetics. Books is you have to have a map of where all the cool shit is going to happen at the front of the book. The president and uh, a sex scene, and or a scene of extreme violence. But anyway. Those are so yes. In answer, in, in my worldview, are all things star crossed? No, but in my worldview, I'm constantly creating poetics uh, about what is good and what is not good in art, and then um, dumping them on other people, asking them to challenge me, and then when they do, saying they're wrong. <laughs> How could I be wrong? Because I invented it. Oh my god. It, yeah. So yes. Okay. Fine. I'm talking about elemental. Oh, I'm talking about the classics. No. I'm talking about you know pretty. Oh, you, th- you mean you? What you want me to do is not find problems with your theory. Okay. Now no, that I'm I know talking about like your typical Hollywood. I can really hone in on your it. typical Hollywood movies. They all follow these five. So your typical popular plays and books. They usually follow these five. But yes, you'll always get that guy who makes the movie oh. about the the queen having lesbian sex with a girl with an eye patch and be like, which one's that, huh, Lee? So now I'm the asshole. Yes. So I'm the prick who managed to like take your pretense and do the thing you told me. No, to but do? you started out and you were like, wow. Oh, the I made it opposition. Oh, so yeah. impressed with this concept that I had. Then started <laughs> what's that fucking lobster guy's name in again? Yorgos you pull this Yorgos guy. And use him to f- try to bend me over and fuck me with a lobster. Well, no, sir, I won't stand for this. I will not be dry humped by, by a lady at that lobster hotel. Okay? I will not kill a dog. 
and I will not surrender to you, sir. Oh, God. Okay. Um, <laughs> for our next podcast type of thing, can we both watch Dogtooth and sure, talk about that? it? It's the uh, same director, okay. his first movie that kind of made it big. It is a movie where, and I think maybe as much as we create films to create a cohesive narrative that expresses an opinion, I also appreciate movies that mess around with that format. Mm-hmm. What I love about this movie and a lot of his films kind of do this is where a lot of movies tend to take something large and every scene that goes by, the universe makes more sense, mm-hmm. becomes more com- complete. A story tracks. What this director often does is that every following scene uh, generates more questions. It further alienates you from a sense of space within the universe. And it's sort of like a reverse whodunit. It comes, like you start off introduced to a, a series of characters and every moment that passes, you start to learn that their world, that they exist in, their life is far more alienating than you have ever encountered. Interesting. All right, dog, dog shit. Uh, you know what I would relate it to? Oh, here's here's um something from my own personal life. Like, I've had the experience several times where you know somebody will sit down at my bar, or I'll meet somebody for the first time, and you first off start be, you talk to this person, and you start to think, I bet I know what this person's mm. like. I bet I know what they're gonna do from one moment to the Based next. Based on their race, I know what this person is like. <laughs> I have, a way, I have a way about people, you know? No, no, but like... <laughs> I can tell about usually people. Within the, course of, within the course of conversation and interaction, you feel like you start to know more and more about somebody. There, every now and then in life, you'll meet somebody, and the more you get to know about them, the more insane yeah. or hard to understand or frightening they become. <laughs> Sounds like marriage. Do you want... Is she in the room? Oh, yeah, she's over there. Okay. Um, is this going to be in the podcast? Because we can talk about this later. I mean, hey, up in the we chats. All, we, all, we all make mistakes, man. Like, I've, I've been there, man. You're just counting down the days, just waiting. Just waiting for you can make a break somehow or burn it down. Do you want to talk? What the fuck, man? Yeah, I mean, could we... Do you think you can maybe... Do you think you can maybe pause this for a second? Because I really need to talk about this. It's just that I think sometimes that um, she's poisoning me, <laughs> like like a little bit at a time. Cool. But like I felt like I started to like notice it, and I started to mention it. Like, are you putting something in the food? And then she just looks at me and just starts to smile. And um, so I think it's here's the thing. I thought I would stop eating it, but it's good. But I'm not. It's like I know that she's poisoning me. It's like part of those who can't see the recording light on Tom's snowball is lighting up his face red. (laughs) So it looks like he's literally has like blood coming out of his face. Is this a normal? So you are recording this? Uh, No. no. Great. Everything's fine. This was a bit. We're doing a bit because we're both really funny guys. (laughs) That's all we do here. That's all we do in and out. We do bits. All that stuff about actually, I love capitalism and cops. And uh, it's all been a bit. Man, I don't believe in any conspiracies. Everything is exactly as it seems. You know, the worst part about cops, <laughs> you can't suck on their nightstick and their dick at the same time. Especially if they're a lady. 
Well, folks, uh, it has been uh, it's been quite an episode. Tom, I hope that you you join us again. Um, was that a cat running around behind you? <laughs> I, we don't own a cat. It just appears That's sometimes. Cool. No, it's You're a like, I'm not even married. I just, this, like, this, this cute lady with bangs and glasses just like kind of comes into my, just runs past my camera and tells me. White male privilege. What's man. that? White male privilege. <laughs> yeah, am I right? <laughs> well, like I said, Tom, I hope you join us on the program again. This is enlightening. And Lee, it's always um, really, really good talking. Yeah. So wait, do you, you want to plug this show that you were rehearsing earlier? Oh yeah, uh, happening um, this coming Thursday. Uh, right now it's the 30th of June. 30 days have September, April, June, and April. Okay, so uh, <laughs> on July 2nd, yes, July 2nd, Thursday, is the Tourette's Without Regrets uh, virtual show. It's our Fuck America show. <laughs> God um, bless Jamie for keeping bringing the, the rage and awesomeness. Yeah, it's... um pretty wild um a lot of the performers have really adapted well to the uh virtual medium mm-hmm. um and again there's poets uh mcs uh there's some really good hip-hop acts there's uh, burlesque performing sexy circus uh that'll pop up there but a lot of people have really taken the fact that they are Instead of being in person, they are stuck behind a camera and they're really running with it, doing some cool stuff. Tourette's Without Regrets Um, is a great program based out of the Bay Area um, that has been going on for like 25 years now. 25 25 years. years. Run by this guy, uh, Jamie, who used to be Jamie Kennedy, but then was like, oh, there's another Jamie. Jamie Yeah, there's another Jamie Jamie Kennedy. And uh, he's a wild man. It's just basically like a, one of the greatest impresarios of the, of like modern Bay Area, like theater and comedy. Like if you're a comedian, uh, if, you're, if you're an actor, if you're a dancer, if you're whatever, like he wants, he's so welcoming. He wants, and he's also just like a fun, crazy man. So yeah, he's a uh, grandson of L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> I always forget that. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. I, if someone had told me, you know, 20, 25 years ago, like someday, There'll be an international pandemic. The world is falling apart. Bounties on American soldiers. The Las Vegas Raiders. Trump is president. People can just have shitty radio shows from their house. And and if all of that would not really be that crazy, but then if someone was like, yeah, and you'll also just, you know, still be plugging Tourette's without regrets. I'd be like, what? That's still going on? <laughs> America's falling apart, but Tourette's is still going on? God bless. That weird show that would happen in a garage or a community center, like yeah, what? it's kind of actually yeah. ste- being on the internet is actually kind of stepping up the game in, in a way. Mm. And it, they've they've done a really good yeah, job. and like the Tourette's team, which has evolved over the years, I assume, and is a loose collective. I think it could be best be described yes. as, but has always been led by by Jamie. Um, they have always managed to adapt. I mean, I've seen them in beautiful, you know, like the, the, what is it? The Grand Lake theater. I've seen them. I've seen mm-hmm. Jamie perform there and he looked at home and I've also seen Tourette's perform in the weirdest, dirtiest, of dirtiest back alley shit. And not only are they willing to to do it, they'll also, you know, lick the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they'll shit on the floor, and clean, the floor and clean it up. Burlesque. <laughs> um so yeah that's uh maybe in your broadcast what we can do is we can um put a link but i'll just say it again look up tourette's without regrets 
um, T-O-U-R-E-T-T-E-S, in case you never spelled Tourette's before. And if you are a child, um, do not look this up, because you will see Jamie Dolph's butt. Yeah, but, you know, kids are Yeah, kids are down, no, whatever. Christ. Um, so, yeah, uh, it'll be a fun show. My wife and I will be taking on roles as uh, Howie and Dina Goodsell. Mm. Quintessential, uh, quintessential American hucksters. Everything from multi-level marketing to televangelism. These, you did a film with these two characters, right? Oh, we've done, we've done a couple. I, we've actually probably earned more money with our films than uh, a lot of people have done with their, with their independent wow. films. Wow, good job. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. the one, seeing one of them where uh, – I was in, I was living in New York and we found I got I saw the link or you sent me the link or someone sent me the link oh and we're watching this video and then like you midway through the movie you just pull out your penis and yeah and, <laughs> and, for comedy for comedy, for comedy. and is, you know yeah. I, I have to admit that I turned it off not because I'm afraid of the male phallus it's just because like you're my friend you know what I mean it's just weird seeing your Oh, Lee, I'd look at your penis you. I, I I appreciate that I guess but anyway so. So we turn it off and then I t- you don't have to make it awkward. It's not awkward. It's okay. Okay. Um, so I call, so I text Rusty, <clears throat> excuse me. I text cousin Banger. Oh I text God. Banger, legendary oh, yeah. um, friend of the show, Banger. If you've been listening to his feed, you know who Banger is. And if you don't, go back and check oh, out his yeah. legacy episodes. Oh, I missed that guy. So I text Banger and I get the little blip, blip, like a little ellipsis. I'm thinking, I'm typing thing. And well, no, I text him. I say, "Hey, there, Tom's dick is in his new movie." Why would you let him know? So I see the little dot. Some- blip, 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 blip. I expect him to be saying like, "Oh my god, that's crazy! What's going on?" Blah blah blah. Blip, blip, blip. Send link. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get down. So to I business. see why your films have been so successful. I mean, it's just a, you know, it's irresistible, um, and I think yeah. that's always. Uh, why you have always been a, a funny actor, uh, but also an actor who can evoke real pathos as emo- an emotion is that you're always like willing to go there. You know what I mean? To, like, <laughs> well, just like be vulnerable. You know, my trouble as an actor is I always just want to act cool. My whole thing is I always just like want to wear yeah, a suit not- and like have good hair and like kiss and make jokes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like I, you're, you're Dean Martin. I'm Jerry Lewis. Right. Including the movie where I'm a clown in a Holocaust. Exactly. Camp. And I'm like, I sometimes show on set, show up on set, but I might be drunk or arrested. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> check out Tourette's Without Regrets. Check out um, what Howie and um, Howie and Dina. Howie Goodsell. and Dina Goodsell. And uh, come back and join us soon, both you, the listener, and you, Tom. Oh, thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>